Thanks, Daniel. Great to have that uh, reading in front of us. Can I encourage you to keep your Bibles open? It'll uh, help a lot with the sermon if you've got uh, that passage, Hebrews chapter 3, uh, in front of you. And if you've got a Bible sitting next to you and you haven't opened it, just have a little sneaky peek. It'll be, it'll be good. Uh, I know what to pray because of the reading, and so I'll pray that, and then uh, we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, it says in the reading that when we hear your word, we need to not harden our hearts. So, Father, we pray now, having just heard from your word, that by your Holy Spirit you'd keep our hearts soft. Help us be open, Father, to what you would say to us today. Be willing to be changed by you. And we ask this, Father, so that glory would go to your Son. For we pray it in his name. Amen. Okay. Well, I said we're starting a series, a four-week series, and we're going to be looking at our four values, faithful, adventurous, compassionate, and enduring. And we're going to start off today with our faithful value. And I mentioned earlier the questions that we have to focus us up on daily reading and prayer, on concern for gathering together, and on thinking about our personal walk with Jesus. In order to help us do that, we're going to look at this passage from Hebrews. And there's some things that we should know about Hebrews. First of all, we're actually not sure who wrote the book of Hebrews. I have my own speculation, which I won't share with you at the moment, but I have a guess as to who that is. But nobody knows for sure. And we actually don't know when it was written either. So when was it written? The, the theory, the working theory is it has to be before 70 AD. And the reason for that is in 70 AD, the temple in Jerusalem, where all the sacrifices have been offering, offered, was destroyed. Hebrews is a book written to Jews who have become Christians. It's about the excellency of Jesus, how much better he is than what they had seen before. Now, if the temple had been destroyed, it would have been a wonderful thing to add into the book of Hebrews, wouldn't it? So you're used to offering sacrifices. We're saying, look to Jesus. And on top of that, you can't offer sacrifices anymore because the whole thing's been destroyed by the Romans. That'd be a pretty good punchline. But it's not in the book, and so we suspect the book was written before 70 AD. It was probably written to people in Rome, to Jewish Christians in Rome. And it's interesting to think about the sort of situation they were in. They were suffering persecution. They were suffering persecution because they were starting to stand out as a threat. What happened in Rome was everybody had to honour the gods. And they had hundreds and hundreds of gods. You probably know some of their names. What are the names of some of the Roman gods? Sorry? Jupiter? Yes. Someone said Zeus, did they? Zeus. They, they got the Greek gods and the Roman gods and mixed them all together. So basically you're worshipping all of them. And it was a superstitious age. And so if you didn't worship the gods, basically what you were doing was you were bringing danger onto the people. Because when I offer a sacrifice, I'm keeping the gods happy. Christians didn't worship any of all the gods the Romans had. And so they were making it the world a more dangerous place. Can you see that? There's one group of people that were accepted. They were allowed to not worship the Roman gods. Do you know who that was? It was the Jews. The Romans recognized that the Jewish religion was ancient and they were one group of people that were allowed to not offer sacrifices to the Roman gods. It was okay because they respected how ancient the Jewish religion was. So that was fine for Christians until the Jews started to say, hey, hey, 
these guys aren't us. I think the Romans thought that the Christians were a Jewish subset. And all of a sudden, the Jews are saying, no, nah, these guys aren't us. They're a different thing. So now the Christians are standing there as the brand new religion, not worshipping other gods. They're in the focus of persecution. And so there was a threat to the Christian church and there was persecution. On top of that, they'd been waiting for Jesus' return. Jesus had gone to glory, gone to heaven in about 33 AD. And man, it was all of 30 years or something since he'd gone. Where was he? Was he going to keep his promise? And so they were weary of waiting amidst the persecution. And they had questions. Has Jesus really done enough? Was his sacrifice enough? Or do we need to add a bit of Judaism on top of Christianity? Now, this morning, we're listening to the book of Hebrews in Oran Park. Today. And you might think, what's our environment like? Is there any correlation between the Hebrews of early first century and us in Oran Park? Well, I would suggest there is. Uh, there's some persecution going on for us at the moment. I'm not sure if you saw this story. Our church, Sydney Anglican Church, has been on the front page of papers and uh, news feeds and whatever else. It says here, Sydney Anglicans to ban same-sex marriage, yoga on all church property. Now, if you saw this, have you heard this? That we're, in the, we're in the firing line. The, the interesting thing is nothing's changed. Nothing new is happening but because we're voting to affirm what we've already done in our synod, the whole thing has gone absolutely crazy. So nothing new has happened, but we're being picked out specifically and persecuted. There's also a general threat in our society at the moment. Philip Roddick is putting together a paper on religious freedom in Australia, and the media is already attacking it before it's been released to say, hey, you can't really have a Christian school where it's okay to say that the teachers should be Christians. That sounds too much. It's interesting to me, church, a little insider talk. It's interesting to me, they don't ever talk about the fact that uh, Muslims would ban having a Christian service in their mosque. When was the last time you heard that as a frontline? Christians, fair game. Put the boot in, they're a bunch of religiously intolerant. Anyway, I just want you to notice, church, there is actually a persecution and a threat getting around at the moment. It's a reality. We might have grown weary. How long has it been since Jesus went to heaven that we've been waiting for him to return? It's been a while, hasn't it? You might think that third term took a while as well. So we're, we're weary, right? We're weary. And we have questions at times too. Jesus said that he came that we might have life and have it to the full. Is full life found in trusting Jesus? Or do I need to add in uh, all these other things that fill up my life? Is Jesus enough? And so we come to this book, and this book will talk to us this morning about faith and faithfulness. What's the difference between faith and faithfulness? Well, I want to suggest faith is trusting in the trustworthy. Our secular world would tell you faith is taking your brain out and jumping into darkness. That's not, that's not the biblical view. The biblical view is that you find something of trustworthiness and you put your trust in it. That's faith. Faithfulness is being trustworthy with the trust. Bear with me. Someone says to you, can you look after my dog this holidays? And you leave the gate open and you don't feed it and there's a starving little dog running around the, the, the outs. Have you been faithful? 
just think, I'm not letting, lending you my dog. No, you have not been faithful if you've done that, right? So what's happened is someone's entrusted something to your care and you haven't proved trustworthy. You've not done what's been entrusted to you. So faithfulness is being trustworthy with what has been entrusted to you. Make sense? Great. For the Jews, they had moved from having Moses as the absolute pinnacle of their religion. The Jewish Christians had said, no, 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 we're with Jesus. And as the persecution raised, as time went on, the question becomes, should we go back? Should we go back and make Moses the main game again? You can guess the answer to that, by the way, can't you? Should we go back? Great, good, you're paying attention, that's fantastic. Now, our passage, have a look with me in uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. It starts with a word. And um, I want to ask uh, those of you, does anyone know what this symbol here means? It means therefore. It's a little mathematical thing. Therefore. Those, those, three, word, uh, those three dots there equal therefore. And whenever you see a therefore in your Bible, you should ask, what is the therefore therefore? You've not heard this before? That's good. I like laughter. Um, it's great. So when you get a therefore, you should ask yourself, what is the therefore, therefore? It's a question of context. When you find a therefore, you are urged to look further back up what's come before and go, huh, what just happened in this passage that now tells me why I've got a therefore? Do you see? We find out what the therefore is there for. So in our passage in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, it starts with a therefore. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters. So we need to know what it's there for. Now, uh, is anyone a fan of nachos? Yes? Now, does anyone ordered nachos? Because you order it for yourself, don't you? Ordered nachos, somebody else orders the other thing, and what do they need to do? They, eat, they need to eat your nachos, yeah? So it never stays your own. It's always a sharing... Di- I see some elbows going on, that's great. It's always a sharing thing. I want want you to see the beautiful thing that Jesus shared with us. That's a therefore. Okay? So have a look with me. We're going to read uh, the verses just before the ones we read in verses 14 to 18. In verses 14 to 18, we see this. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too, this is speaking about Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. The Bible is saying Jesus shared something. It wasn't nachos. It was something much better. Jesus shared our humanity. He shared our humanity. And by sharing our humanity, he did two incredible things. He defeated the devil, and in so doing, he defeated the power of death. What that means is that you and I can be set free from our fear of death. You can be set free from your fear of death because Jesus shared our humanity. It's pretty good. But there's more. It goes on in verses 17 to 18 to say this, For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered, When he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. 
This is extraordinary. It says that Jesus is a priest, that he's made atonement. In other words, what's, what's the Australian translation of that? He rubbed the whiteboard clean. There's no charge against you anymore. And because he has lived in a human body, because he was tempted, he gets what it's like for you to be tempted so he can help us in our temptation. So we see here, Jesus has conquered the fear of death and he has made a way for us to have our sins forgiven and for us to have help in our temptation. Is Jesus pretty good? I'd rate him. So here's the thing. It says in 3.1, therefore, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Makes sense, doesn't it? Death defeater, sin eraser. Put your focus on him. Focus your mind on Christ. Fix your thoughts on him. So there's your application. Just fix your thoughts on Jesus. And even as you're doing that, you start thinking about the house, about the exams coming up, what seasonal plants to plant in your garden, what's happening in the world news. You might be fixated on eBay, on sports, on your retirement savings, on your family worries. and You might be focused on Trump's Twitter feed or your next cruise line excitement. We say fix our thoughts on Christ, but we fix our thoughts on all sorts of other things. Do we not, church? We get distracted and we obsess on all sorts of other things. Let me ask you, as you spend all those cycles of your brain, as I spend all my cycles of my brain on different things, I put the best waking hours of my life to other things. Let me ask you this. Will any of these help with death and sin? Will your investment in supporting the Australian cricket team be rewarding in any way, shape or form? I can save you from that one. No, it won't be. It'll be a terrible waste. None of, none of these things will help us with death or sin. In fact, we're encouraged to put our minds on Christ, to to fix our minds on our beautiful Saviour. And so we have here a comparison for the Jewish Christians to say, hey, guys, you've got Moses and you've got Jesus. Both of them are faithful, but one of them is more worthy of your attention. And in order to spell that out, uh, the writer to the Hebrews does a bunch of stuff with houses. And I'd love you to look at this with me. Have a look with me at verse uh, verse 2. It says that... uh, he, it says he, Jesus, was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the, than the owner of the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. So here's what's going on. The builder is greater than the house itself. The builder is God. Moses is a servant in the house of God. He was a fellow believer with the Jews, and he stood next to them in the house of God. Jesus is a son over the house, 
He is the one who will inherit all things. And so he's a son. The next most important person after the father is the son. The son is over the house and the servants work for the son. Then at the end, we're told that we are the house if we do two things. What's the point of all this housiness? It's good for Oren Park though, isn't it? We fix our minds there. So what's the point? It says Moses is a servant in the house. Jesus is the son over the house. And so what conclusion should you draw? Well, you should draw the conclusion that Jesus is worthy of greater honor than Moses. Makes sense, doesn't it? So what do we do with that? Well, we're told that we can be God's house if we do two things. We're called to do two things here. The first is we're told in verse 6 to hold firmly to the confidence we have. Now, I've got a picture up here of this pilot. I don't know if you've noticed who's been flying recently. Depends. When you hop on a plane, you have to have great confidence in the person at the front, do you not? Or else you just don't think about it and you're watching the movies and reaching for the peanuts. Is that right? But, but here's the thing. Somebody is in the front of the plane and you need to have confidence in them. They're pointing this chunk of metal that gets rearranged in any other way and falls from the sky. They're doing it. You need to have confidence that the one who's in the front seat is trustworthy. So too for us. God's in charge. He's directing our lives. Are you confident in him? Hold firmly to confidence in God. Secondly, oh, sorry, we've got some passages that will back this up. Uh, We see this confidence in two other places in Hebrews, and we get the sense of it. It says in Hebrews 4, 6, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find help in our time of need. And in 1019, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. So you and I can approach God with confidence. Hang on to it. Don't let it go. The second thing we're supposed to do is we're supposed to hold firmly to the hope in which we glory. Now, uh, I don't think I'll ever go skydiving. I just think the whole thing's crazy. But if you're falling out of a plane and you're not wearing a parachute, but the other bloke behind you, or girl, behind you is wearing a parachute, you'd like to say connected with them, wouldn't you? Because your hope is that by being connected to them, magically it'll open up at the right height and you'll fall to ground in a graceful way. Yes? So your hope is connected to your instructor in this case. You can't be apart from them or you've got no hope. Well, so too for us in Jesus. We're falling from a plane. Judgment, seat is, uh, judgment day is coming. We're going to meet it one way or the other. I'd love to have Jesus on my back ready to pull the chute so I have a graceful landing where I say, I don't deserve to get in, but this bloke's done everything for me. Hold firmly to the faith and the hope that you have. It says in Hebrews 6.11, we want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. Or in 1023, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Jesus said he'll do it. He will do it. Hang on to your hope in him. Well, the next thing that happens in this little passage here is that he quotes Psalm 95. You can see there it's got little, might be looking a little bit poetic in the, uh, in the uh, way it's laid out in your Bibles. 
Why quote Psalm 95 now? Isn't it enough to just say, hold on to those two things? He quotes Psalm 95. And I say to you, he quotes Psalm 95 because it refers to Numbers 14. And you all go with me, of course, number, Numbers 14. Isn't that right? No. So let me tell you what happens in number, Numbers 14. In number four, Numbers 14, we've had the people of God leave Egypt as slaves. They've gone through the wilderness. They've come to Mount Sinai and got the Ten Commandments. They are going on to the Promised Land. They get to the Promised Land and they pick how many spies? They have 12. They pick 12, tri- uh, 12 spies, one from each tribe, and they send them into the Promised Land. They go into the Promised Land and find that it's a land flowing with... Milk and honey, which, as I said this morning, sounds like a domestic disaster, but really means, really means abundant provision. They go into the promised land and they find it is brilliant with one exception. There are other people who live there who look really scary. And so the spies come back out and 10 of them say, it's a good land, but we can't go in because we'll be destroyed. Two of them say it's a good land and God gave it to us and we should go take it. The people are won over. And they lose their confidence in God. They lose their confidence in Numbers 14. And they lose their hope that this can be the home of the people of God. And they start to worry, who will look after our kids? If this army is stronger than us, if the people in the land are stronger than us, our kids will be taken into slavery. And they say the most terrible thing, let's go home rather than going to the place of abundance that God has called them to, they say, let's go home where we were slaves. Let's go home. And so in this episode, God says to them, today, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. That's the reason Psalm 95 is quoted. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion in the desert. See, what happened to those people who were unfaithful, who didn't trust God? Well, they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness until everyone who was over the age of 20 died. Today, he says, if you hear God's voice, don't harden your hearts. It makes sense when we're talking about persevering in the face of persecution. Don't harden your hearts. God has a promised land for you. Keep going towards it. So what do we do to avoid it? We're told... In verse 12, have a listen to this. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. It's a community activity. Now imagine you're at the beach and you see that sign up, shark sighted today, and somebody is wandering towards the waves. And you go, what evs? And you keep reading your phone because we read the phones on beaches now. That's what happens. Or everyone just keeps playing their games as someone from the community walks into the water. Is that right? What should we do as a community if we see someone walking into the water where there's been a shark? We should grab them and pull them out of the water, shouldn't we? Brothers and sisters, see to it that none of us has a sinful, unbelieving heart. The second thing that we're supposed to do is we're supposed to encourage each other daily as long as it is called today. So you know how it's hard for me to encourage you? It's hard for me to encourage you when I never think of you and I never see you. And if I add to that, I never think of you, I never see you, and I never speak to you, how can we encourage one another daily? Not going to happen, is it? 
We have to think communally about this responsibility of caring for each other. There should be no lone ranger Christians. We have to watch out because we can be hardened, it says here, by sin's deceitfulness. Does anyone know what organ of the body this is? It's a liver. And livers do all sorts of good things for us until we do the wrong thing with them. This hardness idea, hardness of heart, we might as well harden a liver instead. If you harden a liver, sclerosis, it ceases to function. Your liver will call you to be, cause you to be a dyer. Or you'll be in dire danger or something like that. Is it? <coughs> so how do we... How do we need to look after our livers. Well, apparently, we need to watch out for our our livers uh, when we self-medicate. When we over-medicate ourselves, our livers can be in danger, and we medicate ourselves as a society. We try and take the pain away. So we medicate ourselves with alcohol, with pornography, painkillers, retail therapy, and it hardens our hearts. It hardens our hearts. And the other way you can do it is by unhealthy additions to your diet or basically just changing your diet to rubbish. And so instead of work being a place where you uh, earn some income to support your family, we have workaholism. We turn it into something worse. Or gambling or gossip or greed, things that harden our hearts, that are deceptive medicine for our souls. Brothers and sisters, we need to watch out that our hearts are not hardened that we remain soft to the word of God. And so he continues and he says here in verse 14, we've come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. Grab tight. Uh, Now some of you today might not yet have made the decision to become a Christian. Today's a great day to do that. Why don't you take hold of the one who's defeated death and offers you salvation from your sin? But some of you have made that decision. It might have been decades ago. Are you still holding on? Hold firmly to your original conviction. Don't let it go. Hang on to your conviction and your trust in Jesus. And then it says to us that we are to be the people who listen to the warning. Just as has been said, it says in verse 15, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. It's wonderful, isn't it? Metal is innately hard, but if you heat it up, it becomes soft. I think our hearts are like this. We need to be near the furnace of God or they turn hard. The further you are away from God, the harder your heart will be. Everyone here knows this, don't you? We've got to be close to the white-hot flame of the presence of God. We've got to hang out with God. So how will we fix our eyes? How will we stay connected? How will we encourage each other each day? I want to suggest there's two things we should do, we time and me time. We time and me time. What is we time? Well, I want to encourage you to look at your calendar and work out how to make space for church, for life group, and life. What do I mean? We've actually got to spend time together. We actually have to have that as a priority in our lives together. And, and so I can tell you what I'm doing on, uh, uh, in June 2020 on Sunday morning. God willing, unless Jesus returns, I'm going to be right here 
I don't need to check my calendar. Hey, what are you doing on Sunday morning in June 20? Not a problem. The habit is I'm here. I'll be with the people of God because I need that encouragement. What about life groups? How do you fit life group in a busy? I don't know. We want to help you. But if you don't ever meet with the people of God out of this setting, how will you encourage one another not to have hard hearts? We've got to do it. Got to make space for it. And so I want, it, I want you to find a habit, a we time that is regular, that's about friendship, because I will never tell you the thing that's hardening my heart unless we trust each other. Yes? And so if we don't have any friends at church, we won't have any accountability at church, we won't have any support at church. We must move beyond acquaintances to friendship. It takes time, it takes investment. And we need to go deeper together. That's we time. We also need me time. We need scripture, prayer, and life with God. You and I need to be engaging with the Bible every single day. And we need to be praying to God every single day. And we need to not know God as a stranger on Sunday morning checking in. Hey, God, haven't seen you for a week. I hope you've been okay. Do we walk with God in every aspect of our lives? And if I'm to stay soft-hearted, how will I ever know what God is like if I never read his word? How will God speak to me if I never speak to him in prayer? We need to be regular. We need to build our friendship with Jesus and we need to go deeper. Yeah, good, but there's traffic trying to get home for life group. There's a kid's birthday on Sunday morning. I was away for the weekend camping. I'm not really very much of a reader and everything I pray doesn't get answered. Yeah? The world is watching us, church. They're trying to work out whether you're legit. Are you people who talk about the Christian thing, or are you followers and apprentices to Jesus? Really, individually, yourself, are you a follower of Jesus? When they meet you, do they meet a genuine follower of Jesus or someone who's masquerading as one? The world's watching. And so I want to ask you, will you be faithful in serving and committing into God's house? And will you have faith to worship the one who is over the house of God? It's, a, it's an interesting thing, you know, those objections. There's traffic. And do you know what I say? If, if you come late to life group but you make it, that's great. Carolyn and I have talked to our kids about what happens with birthdays on, on Sunday mornings, right? We just say to our kids, kids, we have made Jesus the number one priority in our lives. What that means is we put Jesus first on Sunday mornings. So when you get an invitation for a birthday party on Sunday morning, you don't have to ask us. You know you can't go. However, we're not doing it to punish you. We're not doing it to punish you. We're doing it to honour Jesus. So here's the thing. As soon as this service is finished, we will get you there. If it means that you can't get there, we'll get you a play date with your friend. We are not doing it to punish you. We're doing it to honour Jesus together as a family. When it comes to I'm busy at work, I can't find time to read. I used to have a to-do list this long, I still do, at work, when I used to work in a real job before I was a minister. 
And on my to-do list, at the top of every single day, I wrote down, read and pray. And my personal commitment was, I will not tick any other box on this list until I've talked to God and read his word. You can do it if you choose to. Are you legit, church? Are you really aiming to be faithful apprentices to Jesus? We have a plan for next year, and we want to tell you more about it over the coming, uh, coming weeks. We want to find more space for you in your life. We are responsible for clogging up part of your life. We want to think about how we schedule church. We want to help you find more space. We want to encourage you to go deeper with Jesus, personally, not someone sitting next to you, you, deeper with Jesus. And we want to facilitate you guys going deeper with others so that we have friendships here. So this is a place where you're known and you know others. I'm going to ask that Jesus would help us to be faithful next year. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you are a good and glorious God. Your son Jesus is worthy of everything that we can give to him. Lord, help us not to get sclerosis of our hearts with all the false treats of this world, but help us to encourage one another daily, to hold tightly to the hope that we profess, to fix our eyes on your Son, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.